It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. First, we start with the foreign buyers ban in Canada. It is now the law of the land. It has kicked in on January 1st. It will remain in place for two years. A foreign buyers ban in real estate. Will this make any difference in affordability for homes in Metro Vancouver? Got Dylan Kruger standing by. First, have a listen to Justin Trudeau here, the Prime Minister, announcing this foreign buyer's ban. Have a listen. Homes are to live in, to raise a family in, to build a life in, not a way to boost the balance sheet. So in this budget, we're going to be banning foreign buyers for two years, curbing speculative practices and moving forward on a home buyer's bill of rights. All right, the foreign buyer's ban now in place. It will be there for two years. Let's check in with Dylan Kruger now, Delta City Councillor. He's an advocate for affordable housing. Dylan, thanks a lot for coming on today. Mike, good morning. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have you on again about this very important topic. What do you think about this idea, this foreign buyer's ban? Do you think it'll make any difference? Well, I I think it's great politics. I mean, obviously, if you remember back to the last election, Mike, the last federal election, every major political party had something to say about a a foreign buyers, either a ban for the Liberals or the Conservatives, or the NDP said, let's do a foreign buyers tax, similar to what we have in B.C. So obviously it polls well, but from a policy perspective, I'm pretty skeptical that this will have much of a difference whatsoever when actually talking about housing affordability. When you look in B.C., for example, the share of the market that uh, includes uh, transactions with foreign buyers. And again, BC is a jurisdiction that's had a, a tax for almost half a decade, is less than half a percentage point. And that's according yeah. to the BC Real Estate Association. So we've already had this aggressive approach to foreign buyers here in BC, and we've seen prices continue to skyrocket. So I, I'm skeptical about the, the ability to actually achieve more affordability in the market. I wonder if it's a little bit of closing the barn door after the horses have escaped though too because if you go back several years at the start of the affordability crisis i think there was a lot of compelling evidence that maybe some offshore money was distorting the market but that was years ago and like you said they've already brought in a ton of punitive taxes to try and stop it right and so now i mean do you think it's just like too little too late yeah, I think this this was certainly a narrative five or six years ago, and there was some evidence yeah. at that time. But but when you look at transactions today, it's just it's such a small part of the market, and I think it's you know another trend in in government trying to to look at every option other than than the supply piece. And you know, because I've talked on the show a number of times, Mike, that I, I really believe we're not doing enough on supply. The other you know potential negative with, with the ban is on the flip side, we also have a major labor shortage in this country, and we're trying to attract doctors and nurses and teachers and other high paid earners into the the country and now we're saying, oh by the way, um, you know please please come here and work, but you're not allowed to buy property so there's there's some negative consequences there as well there's also some uh, I think significant exemptions and loopholes here in this law, like it does not apply to 
recreational properties like cottages, cabins. So, you know, if a foreign purchaser really was determined to put some money into Canadian real estate, you could buy some high-end cabin or lake house or something, right? I mean, I've also heard that foreign students would still be allowed to buy property in Canada. That's kind of a loophole, isn't it? Yeah, though there's there's certainly some loopholes, but again, I I think my position really is that you know we're, we can spend a lot of time uh, addressing this, but it's it's not really a policy that's that's going to achieve its stated aim, which is to increase affordability. I don't know if you saw there was an article that came out uh, last week just talking about the population increase in Canada in 2022. In the first three quarters of the year, uh, our population increased by 776,000 people. And we are on pace to hit over a million people by the end of last year. And if we hit over a million, that'll be the highest number of new residents in a single calendar year since Canadian Confederation. So we're on pace for about 40 million people by the end of 2023. We are not building enough homes per capita. In fact, we built more homes per capita in the 1960s than we're doing today. Uh, we've, we've got to get going on the supply piece. Speaking of Delta City Councillor Dylan Kruger, the foreign buyer's ban in place in Canada. Okay, if the foreign buyer's ban is not going to do much, and I, I tend to agree with you that I, I think it's such it's a small part of the market now, so it won't make a huge difference. What is the answer? Like, what can we do about this affordability crunch? I mean, you've touched on the supply issue. Let's talk about that. Like, we're not building enough stuff, correct? Yeah, and, and you're seeing a lot of provincial governments, you know, starting to talk about that. Ontario's talking about it. Our new premier in, in B.C., David Eby's talking about it. The B.C. government passed Bill 26 last year, which uh, gives provincial, uh, local government more tools. Uh, Delta, uh, which is the municipality that I represent, is, I think, one of the only cities in, in the lower mainland so far that's taken the province up on this. We've actually now... Uh, waived public hearings for housing projects that conform to our official community plan, which will save uh, months or in some cases years on on timeline approvals. Uh, for, for projects that are straight building permits for single-family homes, we've got that down to one week. So government can do a lot to reduce red tape to get housing built faster and attract investment. That's number one. Uh, number two, do, uh, Tom Davidoff, UBC Sauter School of Business, He's he's been vocal on this topic as well, and he was talking about for him, a much more important tool was the empty homes tax. It's less about you know, where people are coming from, but whether or not that house is actually being utilized to house people. Like, let's take, for example, there's two, two types of buyers. One from Ontario, who is buying a secondary vacation home in D.C., and the second is uh, a worker from the United States or, or another country that's coming here to contribute to the economy. I mean, who's having a greater negative impact on the housing crisis? Let's look at if the housing is actually being used. How do you ensure, like, let's say we rapidly increase the number of housing starts. I mean, I've heard from some municipal leaders saying we're we're almost at capacity now when you take a look at the number of the construction companies are going full out building. But okay, but let's talk about, let's say we do build a ton of new housing, and I think we need it too. How do you ensure that those homes are going to be affordable? Because wouldn't they just be just as expensive and people wouldn't be able to afford them anyway? I think affordable is such a uh, it's such it's such a trigger word these days because I think the word affordable means something different to everyone else. I'm really looking for I guess I'd call it attainable housing, housing that can be aspired to. And, and what I want to see in the trend lines, a couple of different things. The, the metric that's most important to me is the rental vacancy rate. Today, the rental vacancy rate uh, in Vancouver is about 1.2 percent. A healthy rental vacancy rate should be about three or four percent. So the more stock, housing stock we have in the market. 
the more supply that's available, the, the higher that vacancy rate is going to be. The second piece is the pace of the increase in housing has so rapidly outpaced uh, the, the uh, wages for, for workers. So we want to see how increases in housing. It's always going to go up, but let's see those increases more in line uh, with cost of living increases so that people can have a chance to catch up. Uh, those are the two metrics that I'm looking for with increased supply. Dylan, thanks for coming on to talk about it today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Happy New Year. All right. Welcome back. As we continue talking housing affordability, the foreign buyers ban is in place. Lots of calls here. Let's quickly check in with Paul Sullivan. Paul is a property agent and partner in Ryan ULC, a global tax consulting and software firm. He's a real estate analyst. Hey, Paul. Good morning, Mike. What do you think of this foreign buyers ban? Will it make a difference? Well, Mike, we've had a foreign buyers ban. It was called COVID. It lasted for two years. We saw the fastest rising home prices in history. So, no, it's not going to make a difference. Um, you know, back in 2016, when we actually had a foreign buyer issue of, you know, 10, 11, 12 percent of the market, we brought in the foreign buyers tax in British Columbia. That worked. Yeah. We're now under 1 percent of the market being bought by foreigners. So adding a new tax to deter them to buy isn't going to make a difference to the housing <laughs> supply. It's like uh, closing the barn door after the proverbial horses have uh, bolted away. I think. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, uh, you know, we, we tried the foreign buyer's tax. We increased it to 20%. We brought on a speculation and vacancy tax, an additional school tax, an additional property transfer tax, an empty home tax. And all through uh, this period, we've had the steepest rising values in home prices ever. So it ain't working. Let's go to some phone calls here on the open line. Keith on the line in Delta. Hi, Keith. Go ahead. Yes, I just, I just, in it, uh, I was just going to repeat what the last guy said, is that, you know, the government keeps saying that they're trying to make it affordable, but they keep jacking up everything. You know, they're jacking up the assessments. Everybody's assessment is up again this year, and it went up again last year. So, you know, if they keep jacking the assessment up and the taxes go up, how can you make it any affordable for anybody? Thank you for the call. I guess, I guess Paul, it's, there's a two-sided coin here. There's supply and demand. And I guess what a, a lot of these taxes have been aimed at is trying to suppress the demand, right? Yeah. What about what about no, the other side of the coin? Well, that, yeah, like and no more so than in British Columbia, where we brought all these additional taxes on board and clearly just didn't work. And, you know, we've had the new government of the day and, and Premier Eby saying we're going to fix the supply problem. We're going to clear the log jam and permit approvals. We haven't heard any of that good news yet. So we're, we're waiting no. to hear what those moves are because, you know, people like me believe that, that that is where the ticket to this thing is. Stan on the line in Langley. Hi, Stan. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I got friends that come from uh, England uh, seven years ago, and they had to live in a float home. They couldn't get a proper loan because of the different taxes that they put on and the foreign buyer's tax and all that. And then they ended up buying in a co-op. He says the only way he could ever get a loan, he couldn't go buy a house. So what they're doing is banning people from buying houses, basically, in some cases. And, you know, it's not fair to everybody. And by driving the price up, the people that got the money, they'll buy the places for $10 million, no problem. That's not going to bother them. Yeah, I wonder if people will find, if, you know, if a foreign buyer is determined to put money into, into Canadian real estate, they'll find some way to do it. Let's go to Lisa on the line in South Surrey. Hi, Lisa. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, sure. I think this is something that is too late to implement. Uh, back yeah. in 2015, you had Christy Clark go over to China to promote coming to BC to buy real estate. And we had helicopter shopping in South Surrey. They would 
come and buy unseen real estate. And it was accelerating the price of housing so rapidly. And that's what happened. It went from homes that were $700,000 to now $1.5 million is what they're asking. And that is your average price in a South Surrey home now. And at the time in 2015, Australia implemented a foreign uh, buyers. Uh, No foreign offshore people could buy in Australia. And Canada should have done the same thing. And it's so frustrating. It always feels like our government is so slow at implementing anything. And we're always like the caboose on a train. We're the last people to like open our eyes and say, oh, we should have done this, but we're too late. It's like the damage is done. There's nothing that can be done. You can't drop a price of a $1.5 million house back to 700000 in order for Canadians to buy. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa, for the call. I mean, do you agree, Paul, that like if you go back to that earlier period when the affordability crisis really began, there was influence of foreign capital in the market and distorting the market? We just got a minute left here. Well, less than 10% of the market was was foreign buyers back then. But, you know, I'm going to say again, we proved that, you know, blaming foreigners for our rising home values is just not the case. We're we went through COVID, no buyers out of, the, out, out of any foreign lands for two years. Our prices rose faster than ever before. This yeah. banning foreign buyers is politically popular. It is not going to make a difference to the housing prices. Squeeze in one more call. Caroline in the Comox Valley. Caroline, you got 30 seconds here, okay? Hey, good morning, Mike. I used to work for a developer in the Comox Valley, and in 2009, he, he started trying to propose 1,100 homes over 20-year build-out. His last proposal was in 2020, it was 232 homes, and it was shot down by our local government. And I really think that um, the authority for building and approving new housing has to be taken away from our local government because it's not working. Caroline, thank you for the call. Paul, you want to weigh in real quick? you got 20 seconds here. Yeah, well, that, that's where the problems uh, have to be solved. We need to get houses to the markets approved quickly. We need to have certified professionals. We need to have a lot of the things we're talking about in Vancouver at the ABC party. They are going to prove that they got voted on on the platform of delivering homes okay. to the market faster, cheaper, and that's what we're looking forward to seeing more of. Let's talk about the war in Ukraine now, the war dragging on, Russia stepping up drone attacks now, including attacks on the capital, Kyiv. Canada is a strong supporter of Ukraine, but could the Canadian government show even more support by banning the entry of key Russian nationals who support the regime of Vladimir Putin? Check this out now. The Ukrainian-Canadian Congress has written to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau asking them to deny entry to Alexander Ovechkin, the NHL hockey player for the Washington Capitals. The Capitals have a a game coming up against the Toronto Maple Leafs on January 29th. The Ukrainian-Canadian Congress writing to Trudeau, saying Alexander Ovechkin is a longtime supporter of Russian President Putin and has campaigned for him in fraudulent the fraudulent Russian election of 2018. Should Canada ban the entry of NHL player Alex Ovechkin into our country? Got Brian Lilly standing by. Have a listen to this. Here is Ovechkin. He was asked about his thoughts on 
Putin. Here's what Ovechkin had to say. Have a listen. Well, he's uh, my president. Um, but how I said, like, I'm not in politics, like, I'm an athlete. How I said, hope is everything is going to be done soon. It's our situation right now for uh, both sides. And uh, everything, like, how I said, everything I hope uh, is going to be end. I'm not control uh, uh, the situation. Okay. He wants the war to be over. He hopes the situation will resolve itself. But you heard him say there. He's asked about Putin. He said, he's my president. Should that be enough for the government say, to say to Ovechkin, you're not allowed to play hockey here now? Let's check in with Brian Lilly, political columnist of the Toronto Sun. He's written about this in a viral column. I think it's fair to say. Brian, thanks for coming on today. Uh, thanks for uh, for having me, Mike. And yeah, it's a, it's been viral. It's a talker. People are chatting about it. Uh, I've been getting a lot of support from people saying, thank you. I've been saying this for months. Um, I've been saying it for months as well. But, it, it, you know, what's strange is he, Ovechkin was asked about this once and that you just played the response he gave. Yeah. Um, and he said he's not a politician. Well, as right. the U- Ukrainian Canadian Congress pointed out, he is very much a politician. He is someone who organized a group of Russian celebrities and athletes called Team Putin to campaign for Vladimir Putin. He is someone who has uh, posed with him in very political ways, in propaganda photos to boost Putin's image because Ovechkin is so popular. And we're just supposed to say, ah, but he's a hockey player, it's fine. Vladimir Putin isn't someone who just became bad when he invaded Ukraine earlier this year. Vladimir Putin is a man who has had his opponents killed for most of his political career. You know, if you're an opponent of Vladimir Putin, if you're threatening to take power from him, not just if you speak out against him, but if you threaten to take power from him, then, I don't know, you fall out of a hotel window, you uh, get poked with an umbrella walking down the street in London, and and you die from poison. All of these sorts of things have happened to, to Putin's opponents. And... Still, still, Ovechkin supported him, campaigned for him. Uh, By the time he organized this Team Putin group, uh, Putin had already uh, invaded and taken over Ukraine's Crimea uh, province. He'd already gone into Georgia, South Ossetia, Chechnya. He'd committed horrific crimes against humanity, and Ovechkin still supported him. You know, so... Now he work, he he's backing a guy who's in the middle of a genocidal war, and we're just supposed to say, well, I know you're buddies, but it's okay because you play hockey. I can't imagine in 1942 uh, a bunch of people showing up at Maple Leaf Gardens to cheer on uh, a German hockey player who thought Hitler was great. Mm. That That's the equivalent of what's happening here. Okay, let me ask you about how the government could respond to something like this. I think it's interesting that the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress has weighed in on this, and they are asking for Trudeau to ban Ovechkin from entering. He's got a game against the Leafs on January 29th. I think he's got a game in Ottawa later in the season, too. Is that right? I believe. I I, I can't remember the full schedule. I looked at it I last checked, week, but yeah, I checked. I checked it last night. I think they got two more games in Canada. So he's yeah. played. Er, he's played earlier in the season in Canada, though, right? And, and, the, oh, I, he, and I, I think he he got the the loudest welcome 
And by welcome, I mean he was booed precipitously and, and had people waving Ukrainian flags at him when he played in Edmonton against the Oilers a while back. Yeah. Um, and I know that uh, that in Toronto, he also received a, a similar uh, welcome of Ukrainian flags and boos when he was hit the ice and touched the puck. But yeah, I mean, the, he shouldn't have been uh, allowed in this country for quite some time. It is, a, you know, a, a legal, legitimate move. He has no right of entry into Canada as a foreign national. So, yes, the government could do this. Okay, let me play another clip from Ovechkin here for you. So you're going to hear Ovechkin here. You know, you just went over, Brian, some of his background and his support for Putin. But he says that he wants the war to be over effectively. Let's see if that makes a difference to your thought. You're thinking on it here. Here is Ovechkin. Let's have a listen. Please, no more war. You know, um, it doesn't matter uh, who is in the war, uh, Russia, Ukraine, and different countries. Uh, I think we live in a world like uh, we have to live in peace and uh, uh, great, uh, great world. Okay, please, no more war. He wants the war to be over. Your thoughts? Uh, well, again, he said that once, and that was last spring. That was yeah. maybe March. Uh, you know, sports journalism is an interesting, uh, thing that, uh, uh, sorry, sorry about that. Sports journalism is an interesting thing in, in that you don't question the stars or you don't get access to the stars. And so I think Ovechkin should have been pressed on this more. He should yeah. have been asked about this more. I, I think sports journalism should be in, across the board, should hang their heads in shame. Well, do you think how this has been handled? Yeah, I mean, I mean he, was... he plays for the Washington Capitals. He plays in the capital city of America, yeah. which is fully backing uh, Ukraine. Canada is fully backing Ukraine. He's been asked about this once. No, I, I don't think that statement says enough. We didn't allow the, the Russian national team to to come and play in the world juniors that are on right, right now. Right. Um. So what about uh uh, other um, sports bodies have denied entry to Russian players to make the statement that Putin has to stop. Um, this is a simple thing that Canada could do. The United do you... States has decided they're not going to do it, but we could say, look, your actions, your uh, you, it is both his actions and his words and his support for Putin are against what this country stands for, against what we're actively engaged in. You have no right to enter the country. And, and so we're just going to deny you entry. Do you think that maybe the reason that P uh, uh, Ovechkin has not been aggressively questioned by the media continually over the war is that perhaps it's a reflection of public sentiment overall that most most people would look at this guy. As, he is just he is a hockey player and he, he is an athlete and he's been asked about it once. He said he said his piece on it. And then people would just want to go and watch the guy play hockey as one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. So, you know, like you, you've made the point there, he's a, he's a Putin supporter. But do you think most Canadians would look at this situation and say, telling the guy that he can't come here and play hockey is not going to make any difference anyway? Just let him play hockey. I, I've heard everything from um, just let him play hockey. He's not political. Don't drag politics into it. Well, Ovechkin yeah. did, not me. Um, I, I've heard, well, I support Putin too. Putin's better than Trudeau. Putin's better than Biden. 
Of course, I've, I've been hearing from Putin supporters over the years, Mike, which is another disturbing thing altogether. Uh, you know, I've heard, you know, from people that believe Putin's better than every Canadian prime minister and U.S. president of the last uh, quarter century. You know, yeah. he, he used to just be the uh, the people who wished we were communists, who thought that, uh, that the government in Moscow was better. That was in the Cold War era. Now yeah. you've got the far left and the far right meeting in their admiration of this strongman dictator. Uh, it, it's very bizarre. Uh, okay. The reactions that some people have had. All right, I'm just going to have some fun here with this one now. It is the newly released list. This just out from Rolling Stone magazine. The greatest singers of all time from Rolling Stone. Now, this is a pretty long list here. Comprehensive. They have ranked the top 200 singers of all time. And I'll tell you what, you want to debate on this one. There are some very prominent omissions from this list. Some names of some undoubtedly great and very popular singers who did not even make the top 200. They didn't make the cut at all. And there's a big debate about that. But man, you talk about this list, 200 names. I got Eric Alper standing by. Now, this is a massive undertaking. You got tons of amazing singers here clamoring for the top spots. Did your favorite make the list? Now, our technical producer, Tim French, has put together a mashup of some of the singers here who made it to the top 10. This is the top 10 singers of all time as selected by Rolling Stone. Is your favorite in here? Have a listen. One of the best male vocalists the world has ever seen, Al Green, has now become a preacher in the full gospel tabernacle in Memphis. Let's go in and talk to the Reverend Al Green. Ladies and gentlemen, Beyonce. If you Please welcome Whitney Houston! There is only one Aretha Franklin. R-E-S-B-E-C-T! 
All right. Okay. Nice job on that one, Tim. Those are your top 10 singers of all time as just selected by Rolling Stone magazine. Could you identify all of them there? Any of your favorites on that top 10 list there? I heard Stevie Wonder on there. He was number seven. He's one of my favorites. Check in with Eric Alper now, music publicist and commentator. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Eric. And number 201 on the list, at least whenever I'm singing in the shower, which, you know, that's it. How are you? Happy New Year. What a list. That is quite a list. I'm sorry you didn't crack the top 200 there, Eric. You just almost made it. You almost made it. Missed again. Missed again. Just missed. Okay. Yeah, this is quite a list. It's got a lot of people talking, especially about some of the the omissions here, people who did not make this list. But let's talk, first of all, about this top 10 that we just heard there. Number one, Aretha Franklin. Do you have any uh, beef with that selection? No, I don't have any beef with really their entire top 20. Um, But what's remarkable about it is that that entire top 10, except for maybe Mariah Carey, have all come from the world of gospel. They've all come from the world of R&B. Winnie Houston was born into a gospel singing family. Sam Cooke, Aretha, Billie Holiday, Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, um, and and Otis Redding basically all came from the church. Um, Beyonce kind of just encompasses all of that. But um, yeah, I got no bones or no beefs with uh, with any of the top ten. Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the top twenty. So if we look down the list here, we've got we start with number eleven. I'll just run them down here for you, Eric, and then get your thoughts. So number ele- coming in at number eleven, Little Richard, number twelve. John Lennon, he's the top Beatle here making the cut. I might have put Paul McCartney up there. Patsy Cline, Freddie Mercury from Queen, Bob Dylan, number 15. Number 16, Prince. Number 17, Elvis, Elvis Presley. Number 18, Celia Cruz. Number 19, Frank Sinatra. And rounding out the top 20, Marvin Gaye. Eric, your thoughts on those picks? The laughter that you hear from your audience is after you said the word Bob and Dylan at number 15. And I get it. I get the <laughs> fact that Bob Dylan is more of a songwriter. Um, but, you know, when you talk about um, the greatest voices of all time, Bob Dylan absolutely has to be there. He doesn't have a good voice, but like they wrote, putting Ozzy Osbourne on the list. Um, He has a great voice, the ability for him to show emotions, for him to um, uh, emote well, have the grain in his voice. Um, There's nobody that could have expanded words on paper into full effect and meaning like Bob Dylan did. And that's why he's at number 15. But um, yeah, you know, um, John Lennon is a curious one. In fact, when yeah. uh, when they did this list last time, John Lennon was much, much higher um, and continues to be higher, even that list, um, than Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney right now is at number 26 on their list. I would have put Paul McCartney way higher than 26. That's the only... Um, I, I get why, you know, John Lennon sung about the truth. He was very angry, very emotive as well, and that came across his music. Uh, for, you know, look, Paul McCartney has written some of the best love songs of all time, some of the greatest rockers of all time, and he sung them with such force, too. Um, so I'm surprised about the Paul McCartney one uh, at number 26. 
Taking a look, uh, rounding out some of the other names on the top 20 here, Eric, at, at number 17, Elvis, Elvis Presley. Are you surprised that he didn't go higher? I'm a little bit surprised that he didn't go higher, but I don't think that you could have put him in the top 10. You know, the knock against Elvis mm. now to the current generation of music lovers that are maybe 12 to 25 year old with just how much he, quote, borrowed from the people who did make the top 10. And so it's an unfair it's an unfair assessment of Elvis Presley. You know, there was nobody that really took um, other people's songs that that he didn't write and uh, showed that kind of emotion. But Elvis Presley at number 17 is a good one. Celia Cruz at number 18 was a brilliant choice. She is the salsa queen. Um, and it's good to see Rolling Stone magazine go outside of the normal white male rockers that the last time that they put the list was full of them they had pink floyd was on the list um led zeppelin was much higher in terms of robert plant the last time they did a list it was full of rockers and uh mm. i think opening it up to international singers um like celia was was a great bold move especially when they got to include um you know especially for the for the kids online um a couple of k-poppers one from bts yeah. and other groups so that was uh that's kind of neat even though that they haven't been around for longer than a decade the the fact that they're still putting the spotlight on them um which makes the big omission that much more um much more brighter okay so let's talk about some of the omissions and some of the names and this is where people are getting upset these are names of artists that did not even crack the, make the cut at all in the top 200 canada's own celine dion not on the list eric your thoughts um, okay, I've got two thoughts about this, and, and I know you're going to understand both of them. The first thought I have is I have a feeling she actually was on this list, but somebody in their marketing department said, you know, let's just anger an entire country and get a lot of <laughs> clicks to the website. Let's eliminate Celendion because Rolling Stone magazine has never really made any respect to her anyway. None of her albums have ever received higher than two out of five stars when it comes to reviews. They despise that kind of music where it's light and fluffy in the way that people will be a little bit snarky towards a Michael Bolton or Kenny G. Even though the Celine Dion has sold 250 million albums, um, Blender magazine um, a number of years ago named her one of the first worst artists of all time. So I'm not oh. really looking I'm not really looking to the, you know, a mass media for somebody to give credibility like Selene, but you can't disrespect Canadians worldwide with a omission like that. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought that I thought she'd make that top 200 at least. Come on. Oh. Justin Bieber, not on the list. Another Canadian. Now here's a couple of that surprised me. A couple of my favorites here. Tony Bennett. Yeah. Not on this list. I mean, that's surprising to me. Old Blue Eyes, the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra, his buddy, he made the top 20. But Tony Bennett does not make the top 200. And Nat King Cole, really? I thought he's yeah. one of the greats. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Pink isn't on this yeah. list at all. And, you know, Pink did not do Cirque du Soleil while singing 400 feet in the air to be this disrespected, you know, like, um, uh, but Tony Bennett is, is a surprise considering the fact that these writers are of the same age that Tony Bennett became massively cool 
thanks to the MTV yeah. generation and having him on Unplugged. Um, he yeah. is one of the last oldest artists from that era to still be around. He's only recently retired. And when he announced his retirement, it made waves and headlines around the world. So that's yeah. that was a big surprise, too. Her Heart Will Go On left off the list of the top 200 singers of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. That's an outrage, isn't it? Speaking to Eric Alper about it, lots of calls. Let's go to Steve in Surrey. Hi, Steve. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm good. Who's your favorite? Well, I'll give you two that are completely off the list by sheer singing skill. Karen Carpenter and Bobby Hatfield from The Righteous Brothers were incredible singers. Okay, I certainly agree with you on Karen Carpenter. Eric, your thoughts? Uh, Karen Carpenter, absolutely. You know, she is so severely underappreciated as a drummer as well. Yeah. And it's only recently yeah, that she's sure. only made those those uh, best drummer of all time list. Um, and Bobby Hatfield, he's an interesting one. I think he would have easily been on Rolling Stone's last list that was dominated by classic rockers. Um, but I think if this list would have been done after the success of the Righteous Brothers in Ghost, um, when their whole mm. catalog was selling really, really well, um, that would not be a surprise if he would have made that list. But yeah, I uh, good, great choices right there. Yeah, if you've never seen Very Karen good. Carpenter playing the drums, you search that out on YouTube and watch the videos because it really yeah. is extraordinary. She had the voice of an angel for sure. I agree with you, but yeah, she could play the drums like 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 nothing else. Deb and Langley, hi Deb, go ahead. Hi, what's the category that you're putting these people in? The best voices <laughs> or the top the two hundred singers anybody has ever treated Mike Smith during an interview. <laughs> Top two, the top two hundred singers of all time. Singers, okay, so yeah. so singers. To me, that's their voice. Now right. you're you're not including Celine Dion. Are you kidding me? And you're putting <laughs> Little Richard before um, Elvis and Blue Eyes. I, oh my God! I just this is not real. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, this is where we get the battles. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, here's here's why I think Little Richard sparked so high. Um, you know, back when, when, when Richard was first starting, not only was he giving a little bit of a wink and a nod to his sexuality that he came out later on, um, but I think that you have to give him a little bit of props being around in the early 1950s. Hooper and Holleran and just being so full of, of love and joy that he really sparked decades um, in the gospel shouter tradition. So I don't think that, say, you can have Al Green without Little Richard. So I mm. think he has to be up there. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Number 11 might be a little tiny bit high for me. Doug in Surrey. Hi, Doug. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Um, anybody that would leave to um, Tony Bennett or Frank Sinatra off of any list, they've been out in the sun too long, their head is big. But I got a couple that you hardly ever hear of anymore that I think Eddie Arnold started out in rock, went to country, and he was a big hit in country. And also Ray Price. Mm. These guys yeah. go back to when I was a kid. And, like, you heard Ray Price and Eddie Arnold. Eddie Arnold had had a voice as smooth as thick cream. He was All right, on the Martin show. Thank, thank you, Doug. Eric, we just got a minute left. Well, Sinatra did make the, the top 20. Um, yeah. but Tony Bennett prominently not on the list at all. Your thoughts? we got a minute left here, Eric. Yeah, um, uh, you know, my favorite artist of all time isn't on this list, and that's Phil oh. Collins. Um, I'm a big Phil Collins booster. I have a framed photo literally in my hallway 
of my house before my own family photos. So the fact that that he's not on this list, I feel everybody's pain. <laughs> Eric, thank you for coming on today. It's a great one to talk about and debate for sure. Thanks for having me, Mike. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.